Three Hebrew friends named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are true Bible heroes. They courageously refuse to bow to the king's image and worship his gods. Bow or burn in the fiery furnace, the king said. The boys chose to burn. As Christians, we can expect God to test and purify our faith. The Apostle Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trial you are suffering as though some strange thing were happening to you. What fiery trial are you facing? Choose to obey God and remember this. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. When life turns up the heat, does your faith grow cold? Hello, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for being here for another Something Good radio broadcast with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Whether it's pressure from your peers or hostile threats from your enemies, your faith can be challenged when the pressure is on. How will you respond? Today, Ron takes us to Daniel chapter three and to a familiar story that will show us what faith under fire should look like. Stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From his teaching series, Standing Strong, here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, Turning Up the Heat. April 20th, 1999 is a date that many people remember, but for all the wrong reasons. Uh, Many people remember it, especially the uh, students and the teachers and the parents of um, Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. Uh, That was the fateful day when two gunmen shot 12 of their fellow students and a teacher while injuring 24 others before turning the guns on themselves in a cowardly act of suicide. Their depraved actions stunned a nation and stirred up the discussion about school safety and gun control and all of that. Today, Columbine High School is synonymous with one of the deadliest school shootings in the United States of America. But if you can think back to that time and to that fateful day, you may also remember that um, Soon after, stories of courageous faith began to emerge. And one of the stories that was most compelling said that Cassie Bernal, a student at Columbine, said yes when she was confronted with a question. When one of those gunmen stood over her and asked this question, do you believe in God? She said yes. And seconds later, she lost her life. Cassie's parents wrote a book in her honor and uh, honoring her memory. It was titled, She Said Yes. And they found some comfort in knowing that their daughter's courageous faith inspired other teens and other students there at Columbine High School. And for what it's worth, a little bit of a spiritual awakening and revival took place as a result of that terrible, terrible day. Why do I tell you that story? Well, because it reminds me of a story that took place uh, almost 2,600 years ago in the plains of Dura, 
in the land of Shinar, uh, in the civilization of Babylon. The names back then were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and uh, they were confronted with a similar choice, either deny God and live or profess your faith in the one true God and die, die in a fiery furnace. And we know this story as a, a story of, of three young boys who stood strong in their faith and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Who doesn't know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or Rakshak and Benny as VeggieTales has made them famous in, in children's church. Daniel chapter 3 contains, well, one of the best loved stories in the Bible. It's right up there with the story of, um, you know, the walls of Jericho coming down or uh, the story of uh, David and Goliath, maybe the story of Jonah and the whale, even the story of Jesus walking on the water. Uh, there are some great stories in the Bible, but this, this is among them, but this is more than, than a children's story. This is more than just a story rooted in, in history, in real time, in a real place, with real people. This is also a story that, because it's in the book of Daniel, it has prophetic implications as well. Uh, there's a connection between this story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and what will happen at the end of the age, and we'll get to that in due time. But um, this story happens in in Daniel chapter 3, which follows Daniel chapter 2. So let's, let's pick up where we were last time. Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar had a, had a dream, and that dream frightened him, and he didn't know quite what to do with the dream. And eventually, Daniel, who was gifted of God to interpret dreams and visions at that time, was called upon, and, and Daniel interpreted the dream. And, and we get this, uh, uh, this long throw of uh, history human history from the time of the Babylonian civilization all the way to the end of the age through the Medo-Persian Empire and the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, and one day even the revived Roman Empire at the, at the end of the age as the book of Revelation and later in the book of Daniel, it specifies even more. At the end of that interpretation of the dream, the king was, was convicted in his heart. And it seems at the end of chapter 2 that he has kind of a coming of faith and he acknowledges the God of Daniel, the God of Israel, as the one true God. But in Daniel chapter 3, uh, we have a different story. Let me, let me begin the reading here. In chapter 3 and verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. 
Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, this is uh, amazing that following the end of chapter 2, where the king had a kind of a coming of faith, that in chapter 3, he's, he's back to his old ways of worshiping the gods of Babylon, in this case, erecting an image of himself, covering it in gold, and demanding that people worship him. I mean, it is, it is the grossest of idolatry. And in this way, Nebuchadnezzar violated the second commandment of the Ten Commandments in ways that maybe humankind has, has never seen up to this point. Uh, this, um, this giant image, the Bible says, was 60 cubits by 6 cubits. In our measurements today, that's, that's 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. It was tall and, and narrow. Think of a nine-story building. Now, we don't know how much time has passed between chapter 2 and chapter 3. Some scholars say as much as 20 years, perhaps two decades. Certainly, it would have taken a long time for Nebuchadnezzar to build this image of himself and to erect it there in the plain of Dura, in the land of Shinar, in the province of Babylon. But can you imagine such, uh, such pride and such arrogance? I, I call it the ultimate selfie, you know? He erects this image of himself, and he says, look at me, watch me, worship me. Kind of sounds like, well, not the me generation, but now the selfie generation, you know? Drawing all this attention to ourselves and Nebuchadnezzar to himself. Just a gross, gross act uh, of, of idolatry. But there's a, there's a lesson here in music and worship. Did you, did you notice how when they gathered in the plain there and, and the image was erected, that um, Nebuchadnezzar's representative comes out there and he says, now everybody, now that you're gathered, as soon as you hear, and he names all these instruments from which all this music is going to come, as soon as you hear all the music, you're to bow down and worship. And I think from this comes a, a rather interesting and unmistakable lesson in, in music and worship. You know, God created music. Heaven is full of beautiful music that honors and glorifies the God of heaven and earth. We have the angels in heaven singing. Can't wait to be there one day and join that, that, that choir of people, you know, giving praise and worship to God. God uses music to turn our hearts to Him in worship, does He not? It's a big part of who we are as a church, big part of, you know, what it means for the body of Christ to gather together in worship, and music is a big part of it. But here's the lesson. The devil also uses music to twist our hearts away from God. He's good at it. Uh, Aristotle once said, music has the power to shape our character, and it does. A couple of decades ago, Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Church. That was the, the prequel to The Purpose Driven Life. And he, in that book, he drew attention to the power of music and worship this way. Keep in mind, this was written two decades ago, but he says, a song can often touch people in a way that a sermon cannot. Music can bypass intellectual barriers and take the message straight to the heart. 
Satan is clearly using music today to do that. He says the rock lyrics of the 1960s and 70s shaped the values of most Americans who are now in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. Those Americans to which he's referring are probably in their uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s now, right? I think, I think that's, that's true. He says, uh, today MTV, is that still around, MTV? I don't know. Well, he says, MTV, music television shapes the values of most people in their teens and 20s. Music is the primary communicator of values to the younger generation. And then he says this, if we don't use contemporary music to spread godly values, Satan will have unchallenged access to an entire generation. Music is a force that cannot be ignored. Up next, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Turning Up the Heat. If you're a first-time listener to Something Good Radio, we'd like to send you a free chapter of Ron's most popular book, Mysteries of the Afterlife. Consider it our way of saying thanks for being part of our radio listening family. Stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime and click the new listener button. And if you want to hear more of our program on demand, remember every Something Good Radio message is archived at our website, somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, share your prayer request with us using the How Can We Pray For You button so that our ministry team can join you in prayer. Well, the pressure to conform is a very real and present danger in our culture, and it gets progressively worse when believers in Christ refuse to compromise. Here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Turning Up the Heat. And he was spot on back then during a time when what some people call a, a worship revolution was taking place in the church, all right? Changes in styles and the way we presented music and worship in the local church. When I came here almost four years ago, we had an open position in the, in the worship pastor, and we were very intentional, and I said this to the congregation, very intentional about filling that by tipping it in a younger and more modern direction. And we've done that. We've done that for all the reasons that uh, Rick Warren mentioned there. Because we're not gonna give Satan unfettered access to the younger generation just because we're stuck in, 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 in the 14th or 15th century in the way we present. Now, we do that in a way that is intentionally modern in its presentation, blended in its content. What do I mean by that? By not by not leaving behind the great hymns of the faith. And even today, as that worship revolution is coming full circle, uh, even the more modern expressions of worship are reaching back into the best of the best of the great hymns of the faith and reintroducing them to a new generation because the theology is great. But make no mistake about it, the presentation is modern and will continue to, to go that direction for all the reasons that are spoken of here. 25, 26 centuries ago, the devil used music in the plain of Dura, in the land of Shinar, in the province of Babylon, to get people to bow down and worship the image of the king. As soon as they struck up the music, they were to bow down. And make no mistake about it, the devil is doing the same thing today. Larry Norman, back during the uh, incubation and the start of the contemporary Christian music, wrote a song called, Why Does the Devil Have All the Good Music, right? There is no such thing as Christian music, only Christian lyrics. Can I say that again? No such thing as Christian music, only Christian lyrics. 
And even the great hymns of the faith, many of them were bar tunes, borrowed by the Wesleys and others, rewritten lyrics to the popular bar tunes of the day. That's, that's what's happened over the last 20 years, is the worship leaders and the, the psalmists of our day and age have, have borrowed the more modern sounds and modern music. I, I think there's a lesson right here in Daniel chapter 3 uh, to that extent. Now, great pressure came against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down and worship the image that the king had erected of himself as he says, look at me, watch me, and worship me. But 2,600 years ago, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood strong in their faith, refusing to worship the image of the king. And for that, we celebrate them. For that, we're just always excited to hear this story, and, and it is one of the great stories of the Bible. But let's talk a little bit about what it's like when, when the heat is on. And when somebody's turning up the heat on our faith, it comes in about four different, four different expressions that I find in this story. The first is the pressure to conform, uh, the pressure to conform. Uh, it's, it's bow or burn. This was the king's edict. You either bow to me or you burn. You either go along to get along or the fiery furnace is your destination. And King Nebuchadnezzar was, was ruthless. By the way, why the change from the end of chapter 2 to chapter 3? Uh, my best explanation comes from a story that Jesus told. It was the parable of the sowers. Do you remember he said, you know, there was a sower that had a bag of seed, and he goes around sowing that seed, and some of that seed falls on the rocky ground, and some of it falls on uh, into the thorn bushes, and uh, other of it along just the uh, casual walking places, and then some of that seed falls on the good soil. And we don't have to guess as to the interpretation. He goes on to interpretation, the parable to his, his disciples, and he, we, we learn that Jesus is the sower and the seed is the Word of God. And the four different soils that are mentioned there are conditions of the human heart. The seed never fails. Uh, there's not a problem with the seed. There's not a problem with the sower, right? problem is with the, the human heart. And, and maybe what happened, and we don't know how much time has passed between chapter 2 and chapter 3. Some scholars say as much as 20 years. But something is, has changed in the king's heart. And, and maybe when the seed of the Word of God fell on his heart at the end of chapter 2, may, maybe it fell onto the, the rocky, hard heart that the king had, and it never eventually took root because something is different in him at the beginning of chapter 3. And he's now, you know, demanding worship, and he's violating the second commandment in the grossest kind of ways. But the pressure to conform comes, and that pressure can be great, can it not? The pressure comes to high school students on the high school campus to conform. It's called peer pressure. It comes to college students on the college campus. It comes to us in the workplace, you know, I go along to get along. It comes to us in politics. Tip O'Neill, who was the Speaker of the House many, many years ago, welcomed Ronald Reagan to Washington, D.C. by saying, let me tell you how it works around here. Uh, you go along to get along. And he says, that's how we welcome these freshmen into Congress. You know, the, the party bosses will just say, you know, you, you got you to go along. You got to go along to get along around here. And that pressure to conform uh, weighs heavily on us in a lot of different ways, a thousand different ways perhaps. To compromise our faith and to compromise our convictions 
even our conscience, and to conform to the pressures of the world. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You saturate it with the Word of God. It's your best defense against a world that is always, as J.B. Phillips says, trying to squeeze us into its mold. Philip says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but renew your mind, renew your thoughts. Don't think like the world, but think like God and renew your mind with his thoughts. That pressure to conform, bow or burn, came against these three boys. That was followed by hostile threats. I marked down at least uh, three places where the king issued threats and others voiced them for him. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 6, And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Oh, you know the heat is on and the pressure is on to conform when there's a threat associated with it. Pressure to conform, hostile threats, malicious accusations, prideful anger. This is how the world tries to turn up the heat on the followers of Christ. The Word of God is your best line of defense. As we read in Joshua 1 verse 8, Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Hello friend, I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. If you've been with us for a while, if you're a regular listener and God is using this broadcast in your life, I want to speak directly to you. When you first tuned in or streamed Something Good, did you know that other people paid to air that program? We call them our ministry partners. They have people just like you in mind when they donate monthly to Something Good which is a 100% listener-supported ministry. Now that you're a regular listener, will you do the same? Will you help us share something good with someone else? We created the 828 Club for people who choose to partner with this ministry through prayer and monthly financial support. It's based on Romans 828, which in the message says, every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider joining the 828 Club today by giving $28 or more per month to share something good with someone else. And when you do, we'll send you some resources to help you grow in your relationship with God. It's our way of saying thanks for your partnership in this gospel ministry. So please join the 828 Club today. Here's Brian with all the details. Partnership is essential to carry out God's will on earth. David had Jonathan, The Apostle Paul had Silas and Barnabas. Even Jesus had the help of close friends and partners. Today, with your help, Something Good Radio will continue to reach people with the gospel through these radio and internet broadcasts. When you partner with us, we'll send along a few welcome gifts, including our monthly special offers, plus a free subscription to Something Good devotional magazine. To join the 828 Club today, please visit somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org or call 757-276-1099. If you can't become a partner but would like to make a donation to Something Good Radio today, we'd love for you to have the complete audio download of the series that you're hearing now, Standing Strong. That's Standing Strong, our gift to you by request for your gift to Something Good Radio. 
Make a donation online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. How do you handle the pressure? What do you do when the heat is on? Let me suggest three things. Number one, don't be surprised by the fiery furnace. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at all. 1 Peter 4 and verses 12 to 13, Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. And circle the word when. He didn't say if the fiery trial comes upon you, but when. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Turning Up the Heat. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.